Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 107 of NerdPod Generations. As always, I am one of your illustrious hosts, Steve Taylor, along with the lovely L. Jetson. Hello, sir. Hello, friends and enemies. Um, we got some exciting stuff going on with the show. Yes. Um, where we have somebody working on a new logo, um, logo a, for us. A professional artist. Yes. Not, not one of our cockamamie schemes, which is what has yeah. kind of befuddled all of our previous logo endeavors. Including our official logo our, our right current now logo. is a uh, <laughs> it's photoshopped. Clip Isn't it clip art? <laughs> <laughs> it's clip art that I photoshopped a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, but we got that working. We got uh, we have a domain name. We just got to build a website. So we, we got a lot going on. We're, hey, Squarespace, you want to sponsor us? We'll, yeah. uh, oh, we'll, please. We'll, we'll do like a little like... Uh, I'll, I'll not lie. I've had some back and forth with Squarespace in my time. Mm. But if you want to sponsor us, I'll find ways to say good things. And I'll have someone that I can tell, I can go to directly with my questions and be like, hey, why doesn't this work? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then I did, I, it was a little sad because for the first time in 10 years, staylorbooks.com does not exist anymore. Yeah, you, you it did made, not have any traffic. And I was like, you know. You made a very generous donation. Yeah, it should it was, not be understated. It was sad, yeah. but it was needed. It, was, it needed to happen. I needed to cut the cord on that. Um, but we have a big show right here because this is... Have we been looking forward to anything, Steve? Oh, is there anything that we harp on? I'm just happy I picked it. Finally got the right weekend. Yeah. It's we, finally Christmas. It's finally Christmas. We just came from Oppenheimer, and we are going to be giving you our reaction review in a moment. We are going to start this show, though, with what we like to usually start with, which is what we've been watching, playing, reading. Um, I am going to do a quick one just because you seem like you have something a little more in depth. Yeah. My quick is just uh, this week's episode of uh, What We Do in the Shadows was really fun, really great. Um, it was. I do love this whole storyline with Guillermo not fully transi- transitioning into a vampire. Mm-hmm. And this one, one of the main characters, Laszlo, who's like this super bisexual pornographic vampire. Mm hmm. Who is also insanely funny. He's like, imagine if Charlie Day from, yeah, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, became a vampire. Like, he's got that kind of, like, similar kind of intrinsicities. That, there should be one episode. It can just be a one-off. It can be a fantasy episode. I don't care. Yeah. There needs to be an episode where half the gang turn into vampires and half the gang turn into werewolves. From always oh, that'd be insane. Wouldn't that be amazing? That'd be, really that'd be such a great plot line. That'd be a good Halloween episode. Exactly. Yeah, oh, awesome. God. And then, like, Danny DeVito is Van Helsing or something. Yeah. He has to let them down. Yeah, that'd be fun. But it was great. It was great. I love it. I love it. I love this show. And so far, it's going strong. Um, we did just watch something, though, that made us both Oof. pause, which is Wrong. the trailer for the Marvels. Yeah, we watched something nice. We watched the, the trailer for... The Strange New Worlds musical episode, yeah. which looks like it's going to be charming and fun. And Can't wait for that. I'm, I'm waiting for whatever rationale makes it so the whole crew breaks out into song. You know what that means, though? The episode that follows that is going to be... Sad as hell. <laughs> sad as hell. Because <laughs> this looks like pure joy. Yeah. It's going to be sad as yeah. hell. Well, and it's going to be the second to last episode. Yeah, it's true. And so, because that'll be... I think the musical episode would be episode eight, and then mm. the next one would be right before the finale. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Oh, I can't wait. Um, I can't wait. No, so that looks fun. Uh-huh. Something that I, I, I hesitate to say doesn't look fun is the Marvels. Um, I don't want to be a hater, but I, I'll be honest. Both of my things I'm going to talk about are Marvel related. Mm-hmm. Um, the Marvels in general, I just look at it and I just, I, I'm frustrated that they seem to be changing the rules on everything. 
again, it, one of the things that we talk about with Secret Invasion is that the reason that we fans are here is because of the source material. And it's not because of whatever new version you've cooked up. Mm-hmm. It's for the source material. That's that's what we're here for. We aren't here for whatever cockamamie bullshit you've decided to do, especially since you aren't applying to your own rules. Vis-a-vis, I texted you this. Uh, they can't even get the time right for mm. the secret yes. invasion. Yes, yes, yes. Because uh, they say that they've been looking for a home for the Skrulls uh, for 30 years. The Skrulls appeared on Earth in 1994, 1995. That put them squarely at 2024 2025 snap slash blip was five years starting in 2018 that puts them at 2023 so and then nick fury Fury has been gone for for five five years years. they specifically say that so you can't even do math right is what i'm hearing from you i'm bad at math yeah and when i'm better at math than you are this reminds me of the washington dc issue in homecoming where there he uh spider-man climbs to the top of the washington monument and he's like i've never been this high before if you google search Tall buildings in Queens. There's over 30 buildings in Queens that are taller than the Washington Monument. To say nothing of the island of Manhattan. It's the stupidest bullshit dialogue you've ever heard, and it takes two seconds to disprove. Mm -hmm. It's dumb as hell, and at best, it makes him a terrible Spider-Man. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the fact that they're bringing back the Accuser. It's clearly not Ronan the Accuser, but they are bringing back an Accuser. And it still looks bad. Ronan the Accuser is such a bizarre, fascinating character. Mm -hmm. The Kree in general are, right? One of the things I love about certain iterations of the original Captain Marvel is that he is in conflict with his own mission. Mm -hmm. This idea that he was sent by the Kree to spy on the humans and he kind of connects with the humans and he doesn't really agree with what the Kree are doing and he's concerned that the Kree have stopped evolving as a civilization whereas humans are continuously evolving in new fantastic ways and it puts him at odds with the the accuser and with Supremor, the mm. supreme intelligence we don't get any of that here <laughs> <That's>, no. <laughs> fuck that the Kree are just generically bad this is it, what, what this trailer looks like is everything negative Marvel has done for the last few years in one movie. Yeah. Like everything we've complained about in one stupid humor. To the point where, like, they can't even get the power dynamic to make sense. Yeah. Right? So they introduce this idea that the new accuser gets uh, artifacts similar to one that Kamala Khan has, which again. Now you're tripling down mm. on Miss Marvel as a show and the way that you did the superhero stuff there, which I still hate. And when I'm watching this trailer, I'm like, so you're still not going to do her powers right. Yeah. Like, you get to the end of Miss Marvel and you finally have her do the embiggening stuff, and you're still not going to do that here. That's so frustrating. <laughs> and then you do this whole thing where it's like, oh, so Captain Marvel Carol Danvers can absorb light. Well, that's an incredibly easy way to put it it's it's a lot more than that it's literally any form of energy she can absorb but sure she can absorb light Mm -hmm. uh and then you have photon who can see light well no again that's not correct because her powers would actually be inherently tied to light in this universe is a little different than typical Mm -hmm. but her name is photon for a reason Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then you have kamala khan whose powers have nothing to do with light but now they do and for some reason, there's this cosmic entanglement. I'm like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. No, not at all. This is like saying, if 
the Hulk were around anybody who exuded a certain amount of gamma radiation, he would irradiate everybody. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any fucking sense within the world that you've built, and it doesn't make any fucking sense within this trailer. It's stupid. And And then they've also pulled what they did with Spider-Man releasing the trailer for Far From Home Mm -hmm. before Endgame started and before Spider-Man came back to life. Here... They came out and said this happens exact right after Secret Invasion, and not only do you see Nick Fury alive and well, he looks like carefree and everything's He's okay. Fine. Yep. The Earth is okay, so it's like obviously nothing big is going to happen at the end of Secret Invasion. So no. you took whatever tension buildup you were in that horrible show. And just threw it out the fucking window because you're like, well, obviously everything's okay. And not only that, you have Carol jumping around the galaxies. Yeah. Not looking for a scroll homeworld. No, they. It looks like they wanted to make her look like Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. so much. And I just don't understand any of it. So yeah. I, I just look at it, and I, all of it's frustrating. Right down to the fact that they're more concerned with a merchandising option and goose than they oh, are yeah. in literally making a decent movie. Oh yeah. You can tell that they're more interested in merchandising options. How do I know? They have an entire room full of cats now. Mm-hmm. So you clearly you know what you want to get out of this. It's toys and sales and video games and Fortnite skins. And that's what you're actually here for. You're not here to make a good movie. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of your shit. So I decided to go back and watch something that I thought would be good. What was that? I went back and watched What If. Because I really remember enjoying What If. And I have also been going back. And I I call it my happy place. Uh, I've been going back and watching DC animated movies. Okay. Because it's my happy place. Yes. Right? Very much so. For both of us. So this is now on a one-to-one ratio. Right? Mm. You go back, you watch a DC animated movie that you saw once, and you're like, oh, I want to check that out again. You look, and you're like, oh, that's really, oh, that's interesting. I went back and watched Justice Society versus World War II. Oh, this is really, oh, that's cool, and oh, that's interesting, and I forgot that Brainiac is in this movie. Oh, okay, this, oh, this is fascinating, and it's a different world, and it's not time travel. It's mm. dimensional hopping because there's a different Superman, and he has no memory of any of the Bokhet stuff. Okay, cool. This is fascinating. And then <laughs> you watch What If?, there's still several episodes of What If that I do genuinely like. Mm-hmm. The Doctor Strange episode, the Yellow Jacket episode, the finale is really strong, the Ultron episode is really good. Those episodes are really good. The rest of that show, I hate to say, but going back, it fully coasts on the conceit of the show yeah. and nothing else. The voice acting's pretty good. Some of the direction is okay. The writing is so ham-fisted at times Mm -hmm. that it it just fully cripples what they're trying to do. So you have this in a few ways. You have, like, Captain Carter's episode. I really want to like this Mm -hmm. because I love a good Captain America character. Mm -hmm. When you have a good Captain America character who is done well and exemplifies the things that Captain America is supposed to be, mm-hmm. it's amazing, and I fucking love it. I'm not jingoistic. I, I fucking have so many problems with America right now, and mm. in general, which we'll get to in Oppenheimer. Oh my god, yes. But the idea, the ideal that is Captain America, that is what I love to see done well in film. And she's not Captain America, and I get that. But also, you try, first off, on one end, you're trying to take an entire hour and 45 minute movie and crunch it down to 36 minutes so that's going to be a huge challenge and you unfortunately just try and do too much Mm -hmm. in too little time so it doesn't really feel like there's causality to anything that's happening and then you have the writing of the characters where you have any men that aren't steve rogers their only dialogue is i didn't think a woman could do that Mm -hmm. in various levels of derogatory statements 
from calling her a woman to calling her a dame to saying you shouldn't even be in the room, right? But that's all any men say is just some version of that. And then you have Peggy, who should be really interesting and at times, even later on in the season, is better, but her dialogue is so cringy at times. When she first gets the serum, she is taking out a Nazi party and she says, did you see that? There's no one there. She, who is she talking to? She's not on the radio with somebody. Howard Stark's not in a helicopter looking after her or on a dirigible or anything. Nobody's in the rafters. Nobody's looking. She's not talking to any of the soldiers that she's fighting. Who is she talking to? Mm. But this kind of shit keeps happening. Referring to Widow as, I believe it's called BFFs. This is terrible writing. That's <laughs> this terrible. is terrible, terrible writing. And it just it happens over and over and over again in every episode. And so you have episodes where causality means nothing and you're just kind of supposed to coast on the concept alone and not ask questions. And then you have episodes where the concept is good, but the writing is terrible. Why would you do zombies so accurately to the comics and yet fully abandon the tone of the comics? Yeah. To the point where you have T'Challa missing a leg, which is directly out of the comics. And yet you have none of the tone mm. of the comics. Can you imagine a version of this story done mm. with the enthusiasm and uh, effectiveness of something like Justice League Dark Apocalypse War? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Well, and, and the, the, the big difference, I think, that we're dealing with, not only with a what-if, but all Marvel properties right now, is they're not taking chances. Oh, no. They're being as safe as possible, where the DC movies, and we've talked to death about this, movies like Gotham by Gaslight and Red Sun and Gods and Monsters, you know, all these, these are massive chances where they're taking these characters that are beloved and just making them really fucked up. Gods and Monsters takes Batman and turns him into Michael Morbius. Yes, very much so. And it's... But it's done so well it's fantastic. that you're just like, this is so cool. The fact that they take Wonder Woman and make her one of the new gods, and she's sympathetic to Apocalypse. Yeah. What the fuck is this? Yeah. This is incredible. High Father's the exactly. villain here? Holy shit. And I just look at everything in Marvel Zombies, where even characters that don't usually have funny lines, mm -hmm. like Winter Soldier, when they kill the Falcon, Okoye turns to him and she says, I'm sorry, I know he was your friend. And he's like... I know I should feel something, but I don't. I'm just like, who is this for? It's so cringy. Who is this for? Who it's who is so who cringy. finds this funny? Who finds happy yeah. going blam 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 as he gets pulled into the shadows funny? No, this isn't funny, and it undermines the actual story that we could be doing, which is a bunch of heroes who know that they've turned into zombies and are committing terrible acts and can't help themselves yeah. because of the virus that they have been infected with. The fact that Spider Man eats Aunt May and Mary Jane and is horrified fully conscious of what he's done and just lives every day with it and still goes around being a zombie. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. Like, I would love to see that and we're never going to get it. Nope. And it just, like, watching What If again, there were really cool moments. The end of that Doctor Strange episode still hits, like, a fucking ton of bricks. Mm -hmm. But, God, there are just so many moments where you're like, ugh, why did you have to say that? Why did you have to do this? I don't mind that we have Party Thor. I think it's fine. But did we have to spend a whole episode on it? Yeah, like, it was a little much. Like, this is... And it goes around in circles. And you can tell they did not have enough plot for this plot mm. line. And it just... Can we do something cool? <laughs> yeah, no. I, I really... Deep in my heart, 
believe Marvel is dead. Marvel has really it's made really this dead. turn. The MCU, not Marvel, the MCU. The MCU yeah. is... Well, Marvel is the MCU now. This is the thing. Well, that is true. Is that there isn't a Marvel outside the MCU. When you have things like Werewolf by Night, it's considered an anomaly. Of like, oh my god, did you see Werewolf by Night? It's actually good. Like, fucking fantastic. And you, that doesn't, you know, if I go into Shang-Chi, I'm not expecting it to be good. I'm hoping to be happily surprised when it is good. Yes. And I'm thinking, like, maybe I should go back and watch Phase 4. Because there was a time when I was hyper-devoted to Marvel and, like, really studied the movies hard to try and understand what they were building and what I was getting out of it versus what I wanted to get out of it and how it's paced out and how the world builds and all these other things. And I would watch even the bad ones that I didn't like mm -hmm. because I wanted to see if there was something that I missed because of my own biases or whatever. I don't know that I could watch Black Widow again. No. I don't know that I could no, watch no, no. Eternals again. Those movies are just really I tried to bad. watch Eternals not long ago, and I made it to the part in London where they first get attacked by the... Yeah, the Deviants. The Deviants. And I was like, this is terrible. I yeah. just turned it off. Yeah, no, it's... It. I can't forgive them for the terrible writing. Yeah. I can't do it. I can't... Thanos, canonically, is a part Eternal. Yeah. He's a, he's a combination deviant eternal if there was one group of people who should take any level of ownership over taking care of thanos it's these idiots yeah and the fact that they say not our problem is so insulting <laughs> to anybody who understands what the story should be yeah. and it's okay but like it, it's doubly frustrating because i am going back and i'm watching these dc movies and they're so good they're every so time good. like even the ones that are halfway decent are still better mm -hmm. than most episodes of what if like there's four episodes of the what eight nine episodes of what if that i think are really really good mm -hmm. or at least above a 75 percent everything else is 75 percent, if not way lower mm -hmm. and that's not the case the the last dc movie that i saw and this is going to sound like I'm biased. I'm not. I just really don't like this movie. Wonder Woman Bloodlines is not a good movie. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not a good too, yeah, movie. Not good. And, again, it has that same problem of just not being creative, not pushing any actual storylines, just kind of running around on this hamster wheel. That's one of the things I want to see out of Barbie, is if this actually succeeds in being empowering <coughs> versus, you know... I, I, we were talking a little bit before Oppenheimer. We're both kind of worried that it's going to end up being kind of a Captain Marvel, where some people connect with it very deeply, and then other people, it just yeah. doesn't work for them. Well, and we've talked about this before. The, the problem with mainly Marvel, but also DC to a point, is they say they want female empowerment, but then their stories don't no. show that. Well, you end up in that situation of Captain Carter. Where yes. the female empowerment is that all the men say she can't, like literally all the men say she can't, and it's about her showing that she can, which is empowering. Yes. But it becomes so redundant after the fourth time you've seen that scene where a man comes up and says, a woman can't do this, and then she does it. To the point where at one point she has to interrogate Zola, and Zola says, I'll give you nothing. And then it snap cuts to her saying, Zola gave me everything. I'm like, so you don't care about storytelling well, or pathos or character development or anything. They it's had just, that interview with Haley Atwell about the, her scene I saw in that. Doctor Strange yeah. where she said, you know, why would people believe that I could do this all day? And then she snaps in my neck. Yeah, she, she gets cut in half yeah. with a Frisbee. Yeah. And, and like, which is exactly what happens. And I, I, the more I go back to that scene, I know a lot of people like it. I really don't like it. No, Because, no, no, like, no, no. looking back on it, there's just so many issues with that sequence. And, you know, the best part about it is the Professor X part of it. But, like, everything from Black Bolt on is so reductive and stupid. 
Captain Marvel can crush planets, but she gets a column dropped on her, and she's out. Yeah. Captain Carter is one of the greatest fighters of all time, but she gets cut in half by her own shield, something that has never happened to Captain America. Yeah. This is stupid. It really was. And then you get into the Black Bolt stuff and all that. This is stupid, and it's not done well, and it's ham-fisted, and I'm tired of calling Marvel stuff ham-fisted. I want you to actually try. I want you to really actually oh, no, try. They don't have to. No, I know that's the problem. That's is that the they problem. don't have to anymore. But I want them to. I want them to they try. They need a massive failure. They need a huge flop. Because like even Eternals didn't do great, but it wasn't a flop. No, it still did it well enough. And same with the Ant Man Quantum Mania. It didn't do great, but it still made money. We're going down, but we haven't had a flash. That's just like a, clatic, yes. a cataclysmic, just crater. And Flash wasn't even that bad. We were talking about it a little bit on our way oh, back. Oh, it was better than most Marvel movies we've seen. Lately. It was fully uh, kind of strung up by the the history of that movie. The yes. fact that it was almost canceled three times. The fact that they've had so many and people coming funny. in and out of the plot. The fact that Ezra Miller has a dual role in the movie. Fucking the fact that Batgirl was taken off the dock before it came yeah. out. So many things go against this movie. Of course it's going to fail. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have bad CGI on top of it. Of course it's going to fail. And then I've also thought about this. The part where Supergirl picks him up and carries him to the lightning, it's like, but that's not the point. He needs to be doused in the chemicals mm-hmm. while the lightning hits. Mm-hmm. Not just hit by lightning like Frankenstein. Yeah, he can't get doused in the chemicals, hit by lightning, and then just hit by more lightning. Yeah. He needs to be doused in chemicals like, again. Because in the Flashpoint... He gets it twice. Animated, he gets the chemicals twice. Yeah. 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 So that, I went back and thought about that. I'm like, ah, that was really fucking stupid. Yeah, this is the thing, is that really there's stupid. some good moments in that movie, yeah. and then there's moments of Ezra Miller losing his tooth. And, oh, God, I don't even want to think about that. Yeah. I just want to think about Supergirl. Every time I think of that movie, yeah, I just that's, want to think that's about literally Supergirl. the best part of that movie. She is Supergirl. by far the best part of by that far, movie. By far, by yeah, far. Without even a, a second of thinking yeah, about it. No. Yeah. And that movie would have been better if, if you didn't have one depowered Barry. Yes. There's just so many things that you could have done to make this movie better. And, you know, that's that's a problem with Marvel, too. Yeah. Not in the animated ones. The animated DC movies, I really, like, there's, like, two or three that I don't like, and the rest of them I like or love. And I'll be honest, they seem to take a tiny dip until the Doom that came to Gotham, which is the most recent one. Yeah. It's fucking great. I still like uh, Beware My Power, Green Lantern's Light. I, I like that it one. It was good. I thought it was okay. I thought, given that they were doing the Parallax storyline mm. with Hal Jordan and everything, and they have Green Arrow, and they're doing all this stuff, I liked the elements of what they were doing. Mm. Is it the best version of that story? Maybe not. Could it be better? Sure. Yeah. But overall, I liked it. Don't watch Justice League Through Time. <laughs> it's, no. it's really, really bad. Yeah. It's really, really bad. Wonder Woman Bloodlines, not great. Not a not a wonderful movie. Just, again, reductive and redundant. Mm. And it, it, everyone else is really good. Oh, it's so funny. And like, some are masterpieces. Yeah. Like, like some I, are just... There are still things like Batman versus the Ninja Turtles where it's just so complicated. Yeah. I don't know what... Who is this for? Why did you make it this way? I don't care. I'm just happy that, that it's here. That was a lot of fun. And it's just like, the moment Donnie finds the Batcave. Oh, he loses his shit. <laughs> I'm just like, you just found the Batcave, like, kind of ass backwards. Yeah. And Michelangelo riding the dinosaurs. Yes! Too, this is the best. Yes! Even Robin wanting to eat pizza. Yes. Like, I love a hard Damian Wayne, a hard-edged Damian Wayne. But I kind of like the softer Damian Wayne that we're getting here, yeah. too. Uh, and same with Super Sons, where he has a oh fucking cow. Oh, my God. 
That was a fucking great. <laughs> where he throws him off the cliff and he yeah. said, eh. <laughs> I figured he was going to learn to fly. He was going to learn to fly. That was the <laughs> best response ever. But no, I go back to thinking about, like, if you think about it, the original animated superhero movie uh-huh. was Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah. Which was fantastic. And it, I still remember the Siskel and Ebert where they're like, this is the best Batman movie ever made. I just watched uh, Batman Sub-Zero. Oh, which yeah. was also really so great, really weird, but really good. There's yeah. a whole jitterbug sequence in it, and you're just like, "Why is this happening?" Mm-hmm. But like, it's really interesting. You have Batgirl gets kidnapped as part of this whole plot to save Mister Freeze's wife, and mm-hmm. all. That. It's just a really fascinating mm-hmm. take on that story, especially since Mister Freeze is usually not necessarily here, but usually a more uh, sympathetic villain mm-hmm. because he's doing what he's doing out of love. And here he has a crony that's, like, super greedy. Mm. <laughs> He's really the bad guy. And Freeze is just kind of the guy supplying the impetus for doing evil. Mm. But Freeze also does some pretty stupid shit oh, yeah. himself. So, anyway, that was all I, I had to say was that I really want What If Season 2 to be better. I want them you know. to try and just focus the beam a little bit. Take this high-concept idea and do really focused stories mm-hmm. in that high-concept idea. And... If you wanted to make them 40, 45 minutes long, wouldn't it be the worst thing you ever had to do? Mm-hmm. You're Disney. You can afford it. Yeah, this is like 23 or 24 minutes or however long. Yeah, they were too, too short. short. And then you have situations like Captain Carter. Another thing, I don't mean to harp on it. I'm not saying that it's an exemplar of what's bad about this show, mm-hmm. but it's just an easy target because it's the first episode. And this storyline has been done almost exactly in Earth's Mightiest Heroes. When they introduce Captain America in that show, it's him with Bucky and the Howling Commandos storming a castle where the head of Hydra is trying to summon a monster through an interdimensional portal. It's just Zemo instead of the Red Skull. Mm -hmm. That's literally the only difference. Mm -hmm. That one's 26 minutes long. This one's 36 minutes long. Why is the 26-minute long one so much better? At storytelling, at characterization, at everything. And then the 36-minute long one is just kind of a mess with a lot of things. And I, like I said, I think this is just Marvel now. Yeah. Like, I I don't see them writing the ship. I just can't. I see everything like that writer's room in She-Hulk. Yeah. Oh, exactly. It's a great idea done terribly. Or... The writer's room and family are in um, South Park where they were talking about Family Guy. Yeah, with and the manatees. Have, <laughs> the manatees just like, that's also very probable of what Marvel's yeah, is. Yeah. Where it's just like, what, really, what are you doing? What are we doing? We're running around with they're these cruising. stupid things. They're on cruise control. They're super they are, control. They are the Madden of movies. Where Modoc. it's like, I, we don't really have any competition because DC is fledgling right now. I think Modoc really was the cement of like, you don't care. You don't care. Yeah. Because you take this idea that could be really cool and you just butcher it. Yeah. You just butcher it and you make it a joke and everything ends up being a joke. Oh, God. I'm still angry about the fact that Nick Fury's scar is no longer cool. It's yeah. a joke. Or everything is a joke to you. Nick Fury's not cool. Everything is a joke to you. Yeah. Why is everything a joke to you? Can you be serious for five fucking minutes? I feel like I'm one of the Avengers talking to Spider-Man. Like, just, just for five fucking minutes, <laughs> can yeah. you take this seriously? With Spider-Man, it's a it's a coping mechanism, and I mm-hmm. get it. Another thing done poorly in the Zombies episode. Mm-hmm. Why is Paul Rudd making terrible dad jokes? And he's like, oh, it's a coping mechanism, it's a coping mechanism. You watched your friends and family die. Mm-hmm. Twice. Oh, it's a coping mechanism. Oh, it's a coping This is bad writing. They, they can't have anything serious. Yeah. Can't have anyone be like, oh. Because then bad. the five-year-olds might get scared. Oh, my God, five-year-olds. All right. 
So, we gotta move on. Speaking of five-year-olds. We gotta talk about Oppenheimer. Yeah. Okay. So, we just came from Oppenheimer. It, I'm happy to say... Okay, so we'll do a spoiler-free kind of synopsis. Yeah. It's based on a true story everyone should know about. You should so know who Robert way, A lot of people is. have no idea who The guy next is. to me didn't know anything. I heard yeah. him talking to his friend, and he was just like, oh, really? Oh, really? I was like, how do you fucking not know? Exactly. How do you go through the, the entire... The guy that created the worst thing the, ever the in the history of The most destructive humanity. weapon that humanity has ever yeah. had. Um, it's... It actually exceeded my expectations. Which is impressive, given which, your expectations. And I was very high. I mean, this is an A++. I... I I'm very happy we went to IMAX because mm-hmm. the sound was in, especially the score was yeah. incredible. But there were scenes like we'll get it when we get into. I mean, it's not really a spoiler. I guess we could just do a full review because it's not really a spoiler. It's, it's hard to spoil a movie that is about World War II ending. Yeah, it's like Titanic. Everybody like, kind of you know knows the boats they, they, they 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 make the bombs. Yeah. they drop the bombs. Bad things happen as a result. The only thing that you might not know is the whole political intrigue around Oppenheimer. Yeah. That is the third act of the movie. But again, these are all public events that everybody yeah, knows you about. you can look it up. So I kind of agree with you. It's it's hard. This is not a movie that's hard not to talk about with spoilers. Yes. But at the same time, I don't really know how much I can spoil of this movie. I would also give it an A+. A plus. I... I I hesitate to give it an A+, but I can't think of any detractions to take the grade down. So I, I don't know how I can't give it an A+. Yeah. But it's so gripping and sad yes. and powerful yes. and morose. And, you know, it's it's so complicated, but the, the circuitry of it is built so well. Mm-hmm. Like so many Nolan movies, you get halfway through and you're like, I'm going to have to watch this again mm-hmm. to kind of understand where all the strands lay. But as opposed to something like Tenet or Inception or one of those other mm-hmm. ones where it's it's kind of muddled and it's hard to kind of pick up what every ley line mm-hmm. is, this one you want to go back and see because you want to see what he was doing in those previous yes. sequences. And like we discussed uh, on the drive home, the first like 15 minutes, it, it, it's a little disjointed. It's a little challenging. Because you're, you're, you're getting introduced to how the movie's going to flow, which is very Tarantino-ish, where it's like some parts you're going to see take place at after the bombs drop, some takes place like where he's learning and during and all that. It's a Nolan movie. He doesn't do linear No, time. not even That's not just, a lot. Like some movies, like the, 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 Dark the Batman did, movies, yeah. they have linear timelines. Almost every other movie, the timeline is just so yeah. fakakted that you're just like, I don't fucking know, you guess. But it does start flowing. Like yeah. after that 15 minutes, you start to get an idea of what you're watching, and then it just... It just really takes it really, off. It really, it was the fastest three hours yeah. since... Probably the Lord of the Rings movies. It really is like getting in a plane, and you're just waiting for the plane to take off, and then all of a sudden you're flying. Yeah. And you're like, oh, and now we're in the air. And then you land. Yeah. And you're like, oh, oh shit. It's over. And, it was un- and But it, it's so... Every moment of this movie is intoxicating. Yes. Like, it just, just reels you right in, and you can't look away for mm. a variety of reasons. Um, it's I I do hesitate to say the internet's been calling this a hard movie to watch. I, I don't know that I would no, call it, it is a hard not. movie to watch. Okay, it's only a hard movie to watch if you are under the impression that America is this uh, pure white bastion of greatness. Yeah, knowing that we have actually done some of the most horrific things in the history of humanity in a very short amount of time. Oh yeah, we haven't been here that long, no. and we've already got some some high notes as we were going over. Very much so. We're, we've been a part of a genocide. Yep. We've been a part of enslaving, enslaving an entire population, entire, an entire continent. Uh, we've uh, dropped the most destructive weapon 
that humanity has created twice. Twice. And we're the only group of assholes that ever use nuclear weapons. Yeah. Against someone else. We interned our own uh, civilians for no reason. Yep. Just out of fear. We're not great. I'm going to tell you straight up. Some and of these things happen the during the moment. about this movie. Yeah. Is that it shows that Americans are not great. Yes. They are just as flawed as everybody else. Now, I am not saying that the Germans or the Japanese or anybody no. else were angels. No one was angels here, right? Everybody is a devil at some level. Yes. And by, you know, being a part of this and going to the levels that the Americans were willing to go to, they made themselves just as dirty as anybody else in various ways. You know, mm-hmm. again, the Nazis and... Imperial Japan have done some really bad things. But make no mistake, the Americans, mm-hmm. right in there with them as far as bad things. And this is a movie about the complexity of that, where you have a man who's, like, it's that, that idea of the scientist and the, the world, mm-hmm. where the scientist sees things as they are. He doesn't color them. He doesn't categorize them. He says, this is a thing we can do. We're going to try and do it for these reasons. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it was... If we don't, somebody else will, and so we better do it first. But the more you hear that argument, the more you're like, this is a flawed argument. Yeah. And that's something... Well, a lot of people were saying, they they were using the Ian Malcolm argument from Jurassic Park, saying, you spent all this time thinking about if you could instead of thinking about if you should. Yeah. And that's... And that's something that comes up, is you see at these various levels, whether it's youth movements or unions or whatever, Mm -hmm. you see these people that are standing opposed to this idea, even within... The, the camp mm-hmm. of the Manhattan Project, you have these people taking meetings saying, this is not okay. Yeah. Like, we'll continue to make this and we'll continue to build it. This is not okay. And using this against other humans is so not okay. Yeah. And just so many ideas and rhetoric and concepts. And it explores all of them in an effective, emotional oh way. And you never feel like... There, there becomes a, a villain. By the end of the movie, you do have a actual villain that yes. you can kind of pin and be like, he's the bad guy. He's the one. But even people like Matt Damon, mm-hmm. who is this very complicated character. On the one hand, he represents the army. So he's doing all those things that you see the army guys do where they're pretty much just, you know, boot on the neck saying, this is going to happen. We're mm-hmm. going to make this happen. But at the same time, he's also horrified by some of the ideas that he encounters mm-hmm. as part of this mission. And he knows how villainous the American military can be firsthand. And he warns the scientists, like, you don't understand what you're playing with here. Mm-hmm. You think you do, but you don't. And just that, that concept of the scientists, and that it really comes down to the idea of, are you 100% certain? Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as 100% certainty. We are as certain as we possibly can be, but there is no such thing as 100% certainty. And that conflict between these two lines, mm-hmm. where this one line wants to say, no, we're 100% certain that A, this will work exactly as it is intended, and B, it will do what we want it to and have no negative repercussions whatsoever. And then you have the scientists who are like, um, no, yeah. and also, no. And they use that, that phrase a lot, there's a difference between... Theory and certainty. Yes. And like practical. And this and is where theory ends. And and the practical uh, face of this movie, you didn't even know, was Josh Hartnett. Yeah, I who had know. easily he's, his best he's performance. So much better than any performance since oh like, the God. faculty. <laughs> like, so good. Like, he was really good here. And yeah. like I have always wanted to like Josh Hartnett. But like this was the first time that I can look at him as a performer and be like, he's great. He was I didn't fantastic. I, I I kept on thinking, 
that guy looks a lot like Josh Hartnett. Yeah. But it can't be Josh Hartnett. Yeah. And no, it is. It, it, is. Is. it just Hartnett. is. <laughs> no, and we had discussed this also. The, the big takeaway of this movie is it is the best performances from pretty much every actor that was in this fucking movie. And it's an enormous cast. Unbelievable. The cast is insane. I, I made the comparison while we were watching the credits to a, a football team. Yes. Or a basketball team. If you had this many first stringers on a team and you tried to make it work, nine times out of ten, yeah. it's not going to work. Yeah. You have Rami Malek, Oscar winner Rami Malek, shows up in five or six scenes of this movie, four of which he has no dialogue. Yeah, he's just a background guy. And you're sitting there like, why did you hire Rami Malek to play this one guy? It's because he has a monologue at the end of the movie that's incredible. That blows in the bad guy. Yeah. Which, and that's, we, we also discussed this, the great thing about this movie is it is a biopic that turns into a whodunit, pretty much. Yeah. And, like, you're putting the clues together on who is the actual bad guy. And yeah. it's like, that is such a unique take on a biopic. Because it's yeah. not just about Oppenheimer. It's about how awful and... I, I'm not going to... I don't think... Spoiler if you don't know this the truth about history. Robert Downey Jr.'s character is, like, the bad guy. He's the bad guy. And it's like, you kind of get little hints of it. You get... I. You, you keep wondering, what's his role in this? Yeah. Right? Because he is the head of this nuclear commission, and then he goes to Harvard or Princeton, and he wants to hire Oppenheimer mm. to run a department there. And then you also find out that at some point, again, there's no dates. I think if there was one thing I would have liked is some kind of dates. I know that's very anti-Nolan. Yeah. Nolan doesn't want you to know what day it is. But this was one of those movies that I think could have helped by having an actual date come up on screen even just a year so i know mm. what i'm looking at um and can have frame of reference for when that scene comes back later see what i'm wondering though is if he wants you to go and research i maybe on your own maybe to find out like I when like, did this happen and find out more about each thing i feel like it's more nolan's style that he wants there to be a level of ambiguity mm. to the story even though this is a factual story on like something like interstellar or mm. tenant he wants there to be some level of ambiguity to like when did this happen when did this happen how did this affect this which i don't know if that really works here because you know we see any scene that's in black and white you see multiple times yes it's just a quick shorthand with the exception of like backroom lawyer you know conversations if you see a scene in black and white it will come back later with greater context yes i would have liked in those black and white sequences to get a year I don't need that year brought up again when that scene comes mm-hmm. back, but it would just help me to have a frame of reference for like, okay, this is when Oppenheimer um, uh, testified against uh, Straws the first time. Mm-hmm. This is when they had that conversation in the restaurant. This is when they had that conversation at the college. Mm-hmm. Now I know where these puzzle pieces go instead of being like, so they had this run-in during this testimony and then they had this run-in during this dinner, and then he tried to hire Oppenheimer later, mm-hmm. and then this other plot happens because of all of this, and I, I would have liked to have known how those mm-hmm. pieces fit together a little cleaner. But that being said, it's still a really well-done work of art mm-hmm. because you can have all these moments, and you do have all these characters that come in and out. Florence Pugh seems like she's overcast for this role, she, but she does a really good job. It was her best. Yeah. And... I, I had a thought on, okay, because primarily the scene she's in, she's naked. Most of the scene she's Most in, she's, she's naked. naked. Which, 
A, she looked super comfortable because you you can tell when you see an actor on screen mm-hmm. if they're not really comfortable, and that she seemed very comfortable. But I saw the especially the second scene where they're in the hotel room talking, mm-hmm. and she's sitting there naked because she is a very troubled person she's in the movie. So troubled that it's like that's her like insecurities and everything, and her just just. Like saying to him, "I'm open to you." Yeah, and it just showed her her insecurities, and I I, I see it different. Like I don't see it as just there's boobs. No, no, I no. see it as this is her saying, "I'm here." Like this is me. I'm These here. Are, I need your help. I need you. By having both, because Killian Murphy, you don't see anything. His legs are crossed, but he's also naked. Yes, and he's sitting across from her. They're both in armchairs. They're sitting across from each other, both naked. Uh, the only thing you see is her boobs. You don't really see anything else yes. of note. Um, and, you know, free the nipple. Um, but that is also, I agree with you, it's a scene about vulnerability. Yes. You have these two people, yes. and the, the nakedness isn't sexual. The nakedness is vulnerable. Yes. Yeah. It, it also shows that they have a sexual history and all these other things, but it's about the vulnerability of both exactly. characters in that moment. And especially with things that happen later on with that character. Oh my God. Where, like, there were, I, I'm going to call them directorial choices. I don't know. I need to see the movie again. But it looks like at one point, when she meets her end, her demise, mm-hmm. you can see a hand behind her. And I was like, is, what's happening? Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, is this him blaming himself for what happens to her? Is there somebody else was. there? What, what? And you just have these moments where you're really forced to kind of grapple yeah. with what you're being presented with. That sequence where he's talking to the soldier who saw the missile going towards oh, London, yes. and then he's in the cockpit watching the missile. I was like, this is really well yeah. done filmmaking. But especially because that was such a good prelude to what's going to happen in the world where he's like, I saw this missile flying towards the, its target. Can you imagine if it had a nuclear warhead on it? And yeah. just and then Oppenheimer having that vision of all of the lines of smoke going down through the clouds, and you're like, fuck. Yeah, or like when he's talking to the people, there's a... Um, so the, the basic structure of the movie is Oppenheimer's college days coming yes. up in the world of physics. Uh, Oppenheimer, kind of this this curmudgeon who goes mm. to communist meetings and has a kind of complicated relationship with a lot of people in his life. Uh, he now gets put on this project, mm. but he has to like be very careful about all of his union ties and uh, fucking communist associations and all these other things. And then he builds Los Alamos, and then they start mm. constructing the bomb. Meanwhile, you're having all these conversations about the H-bomb and all these other things. And then you go into those in the second act, and you get a little bit more filler on that. Mm. And then you get to the third act, and it's kind of the fallout from all these ideas. And as he's coming to grips with what he's doing in this world, you see the background juddering. Yeah. And things just shaking and rumbling. Because he's realizing the destruction he's bringing into this mm-hmm. world. And that sequence where they're talking about the H-bomb. And he's looking down at the map. And he's visualizing what would happen if numerous bombs went off. Mm-hmm. And the map is just you know, rippling and changing. Mm-hmm. It's just like, this is really well done. <laughs> this is really cool. And very emotive. You know, Killian Murphy, some could say he gives a very muted performance. But he gives so oh much God. of a performance with his face. And with just like... The, the repressed nature of, of yeah. some of the things that he says. And then other moments where he seems too aloof about things when he's talking to Matt Damon. And Matt Damon's like, at one point, the, the scientists are taking bets on what's going to happen with the nuclear test. Mm-hmm. And one guy is like, 
who wants to bet that, you know, the, we let the sky on fire? And Matt Damon's like, what does that mean? And uh, Oppenheimer's basically like, oh, you know, we did the calculations and there was a small chance that we could end the war, the world, you know, like literally light the atmosphere on fire and it'll never go out. Uh, Small chance. And like, he's super cavalier Mm -hmm. about it. When like, when that chance comes up in the first place, he makes a special trip out to see Albert Einstein to be like, hey, can you check our math, please? Because we're a little worried we're going to end the world with a test. One of my favorite parts was the ending. Yeah. Where he, they show, because in, in, the, in the beginning part, you see him talking to Albert Einstein as Robert Downey Jr.'s character's walking towards the, them. The impetus of yeah. the entire thing is, like, there's this moment where Oppenheimer shows up, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, yes. uh, Admiral Strauss, Strauss, Strauss. and uh, later on, Strauss wants to get revenge. And so part of this revenge is to hire Oppenheimer, and when Oppenheimer goes to the campus... He runs into Albert Einstein and he says something to him. And this is the moment that it's planted in Strauss's brain that Oppenheimer will turn every scientist in the world yeah. against him. Because Einstein walks by Strauss without even looking at him. And we don't know for the entire movie yeah. what he said. And then at the very end, we find out what he said to yeah. Einstein. Which, that I would say might be the spoiler. Yeah, I won't say what so he I'm says. I'm not going to say, but when you see it, and it, it's, it's prefaced by a great line by Alden Elric. Elric. Um, for those who don't know, he played Han Solo in the Solo movie. Yeah. He is like Robert Downey Jr.'s assistant for the Lawyer. other kind of part of the movie is Robert Downey Jr.'s character is getting... He's in front of the Senate committee because he's getting... Um, Nominated for a cabinet position. Cabinet position. with the um, Was it not Eisenhower? It's, um, it was... Um, yeah, it was Eisenhower, wasn't it? I think it was Eisenhower. Eisenhower yeah. Was cabinet. Um, yeah, because JFK opposed him. Yes. And so Downey Jr.'s character tells him all this story, and, and Edric's answer is, what if he didn't say anything about you? Yeah. What if he never talked about what you? What if he never talked about you? And it's like, that was, and then seeing the end, it's like, that was such a powerful and that, moment. And that metaphor that he says is like, that's the whole point of all of this. Yes. Is that the entire time, you guys have all been talking about what does this mean for you, and he doesn't even care about you. He wasn't thinking about any of you guys at all. He was thinking about this stuff. Yeah. And the entire time, that's all he was thinking about. Yeah. And you do have that kind of like scientific blindness of like the scientist who's so hell-bent on trying to find out if he can do something, Ian Malcolm, mm-hmm. regardless of any potential fallout. And then you have all the other scientists who are kind of running around being like, but this is a big problem and you run this place, so yeah. we really like it if you kind of stepped up and said, hey, don't do this. Mm-hmm. You know, we have this bomb. Let's show them the test. The test should be enough. And we don't need to actually kill anybody. And then the U.S. Army is like, no, the only way this works is if we kill people. Yeah. And I've heard this argument in history classes. Do you drop the atom bomb? Do you invade Japan? Where, what level of loss of life are we really talking mm-hmm. about here? It's, a, it's an impossible question. Both answers are terrible. Yeah. And it's it, in the way that they frame it in that conversation with James Remar and, and all these other guys is just like, Oppenheimer is just sitting there giving the facts and you just want him to be you, you want him to be mm-hmm. more emotionally invested and you can see in his eyes that he is but he's also fully overwhelmed by what's happening mm-hmm. and he's gone from scientist to leader mm-hmm. and now he's supposed to be this politician and he doesn't know how to do that mm-hmm. he barely knew how to be a leader he only knew how to be a teacher and that kind of evolved into being this leader mm-hmm. but he always had this more professorial approach mm-hmm. to all of his peers and everything and now it's like, no, now you have to get into the world of politics. Now you have to go in and make points and assertions and mm-hmm. all these other things and be the loudest voice in the room, even when everybody disagrees with you. Mm-hmm. And instead, he kind of just gives his opinion, 
And they decide to do what they're going to do, which was what they were always going to do in the first place. Yeah. Which was also kind of his concern. Oh, my God. Was and that they were always just going to do what they wanted to do. I loved... Okay, so one of... And I knew he was in this movie, and I knew he played the character he did, but it still was surprising when we saw Gary Oldman as yeah. Harry Truman. Yeah, that was shocking. And he was only in it for like five minutes, but it was phenomenal. This is the thing. Everybody in this movie, with the exception of a few roles, is in it for like ten minutes. Yeah. David Deschmalian shows up. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Why are you here? Why is Dane DeHaan here? I don't know. Yeah. But they're here, and I'm so excited that they are, yeah. because there's so many actors oh in this movie... And it's just really cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's just this really cool moment. But I love that line from Oldman where he said, where Killian Murphy is, is, is showing his regret for killing 250,000 Japanese with the bombs. And Truman said, no one's going to remember who built it, but they will remember who dropped it, which was me. Yeah. He's, he thinks that Oppenheimer is stealing his credit. Oppenheimer says, I think I have blood on my hands. Yeah. And, Old, and Truman... Gives him a hanky, quote-unquote, and basically says, don't steal my glory. Yeah. You don't have any blood on your hands. The blood's on my hands, and thank you very much. And it's just like, this is so crazy that yeah. this is your approach to it, is that not only are you proud, you're defensive. You don't want anybody else to stand up to you. This is an achievement for yeah. you that you killed all these people. And and that leading to that line was, was really amazing because you see... They play his tone, be it Truman's tone, at first is like, I'm just a, you know, I'm just a friendly grandfather. And then as soon as that comes, his tone changes. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, this guy really is a devious scumbag politician. You really get that. You really get, and it happens with Damon's character to a degree, but it happens with so many characters of like, when the political side of things come in. You really see this turn mm-hmm. where logic and reason go are not part of this. This yeah. is not a scientific field. This is not something where you can do the math on it and always get the same answer. This is the complexity of humans mixed with the greed of humans, which mm-hmm. is a very dangerous combination. And it, it's just so fascinating to watch mm-hmm. the turn when the bomb's done. The moment the bomb's done and they've served their usefulness, that's it. They yeah. don't. They're not interested in that camp anymore. They're gone. And I do love the, uh, I'm going to say the anti-Michael Bay shot, where when the bomb test is done and you see Killian Murphy start to have his regrets, knowing what they just created, they have everyone celebrating and they put him on his shoulders and the American flag's behind him as he's like, his hand's raised, but you know that he doesn't see this as a victory. Yeah. And it's like, that's like the anti-Michael Bay where every scene, anytime something big happens, there's the big American flag, and here he is with it behind him. And I think that's a really great thing about this movie, is the anti-jingoism of it. Oh, yeah. Of just, like, it really nails down that Americans have just as much blood on their hands as many Mm -hmm. other places, and really shouldn't be patting themselves on the back for Well, and we talked about this. I'm so tired of people celebrating death. Mm -hmm. It's like... Like the Kyle Rittenhouse kid, where mm-hmm. he killed people, and then the right, now mind you, they're mostly crazy, but they were like celebrating him. It's like, okay, if you're celebrating somebody for protecting others, okay, celebrate that. Like, I'm not, and I'm not saying he did, I, everything he did was wrong. 
But when you celebrate for murder, like literally taking the lives, yeah. and that's what happened in this movie where they were like, they had that scene where he goes and he's giving a speech, and everyone's cheering, and and in his mind, all of the noise that was by clears far the out. best scene. In oh, the easily movie. by far. Like the the nuclear test was great yeah. for a variety of reasons. Uh, we saw it in IMAX, so it was very visceral. the The sound of it was very oh, cool, my God, and all these the other things. Was so unbelievable, right? just amazing. Seat shaking, the whole thing. The whole thing. And you had mentioned that some people complain about the sound mixing. The sound mixing in this movie is perfect. perfect. Absolutely perfect. When you can't hear dialogue, it's done purposefully. Yes. There's a reason you can't hear what's going on. It's it's a purposeful directorial choice. Yes. That scene, the quote-unquote celebration, mm. the, the triumphant speech, is shattering. Oh, it's heartbreaking. And basically, you have... I don't want to give too much away, but you have Oppenheimer trying to give this speech, and at first everybody's cheering... And then all the voices die down except for one last scream. And then you still hear, like, chairs moving and stuff like that, but everything else is silent except for this really loud rumble. Yeah. And then you see the flashing, and then they, they start pretty much, you know, making it look like the bomb is going off in this room. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's the most powerful scene. That yeah. and him watching the, the, the report back, yeah. the debrief. On how many people were killed and under what circumstances, you don't see anything. Mm-hmm. Now, I talked to you about this a little bit. Anybody who found this movie hard, don't see or do mm-hmm. Night and Fog and Hiroshima Monomore. Those movies are actually hard to get through. Yeah. Those like movies. This, this is not Schindler's List. This that those movies all. are gut punches because mm-hmm. they're they are so visceral and made by filmmakers from the places that were directly affected. And they will shake you to your goddamn core. Um, that sequence where he's just looking down. He can't even look at the screen. And we're just looking at his face. We don't see anything. We don't see any of the horrific images. Mm-hmm. We're just They're just described to us. And you, you have the reaction of all the other people in the room gasping and everything. And you just have Oppenheimer just staring at the floor because he cannot bring himself to look at what he's mm-hmm. wrought. That scene is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like, it's so horrifying knowing that it's you don't want to see it mm-hmm. i i've seen these shots it's really bad it's really really bad mm-hmm. it's stuff that never leaves you bad mm-hmm. um it's like watching grave of the fireflies it's one of those things i, I heard a, a film critic talk about the idea that anytime a nation goes to war or is close to going to war mm-hmm. they should play grave of the fireflies on repeat like they used to do for it's a wonderful life and you just do that for a week. And you see if anybody still wants to go to war, because God damn it, if you get through that movie and you still think war is a good idea, you're a sociopath. Yeah. And yeah, just like screws loose. Like it, it's there's so many powerful moments like that in this movie, and it's done so well. It doesn't glorify any of it. No. There isn't any glory to it. This movie like I've always I've not always, but over the last like couple decades, I've come to the conclusion that I think the worst decade for this country was the 50s. I think you're right. And it's because it laid the foundation to what we are now with yeah. all of the distrust and all. It all started in the 50s because that's where the hyper-Christianity kicked in. That's where, uh, you know, everyone that had any idea that was against uh, whatever conservative Christianity was was deemed uh, communist or whatnot. No one could have free thought if it wasn't the thought. And it's like that all started then and we're seeing that now. And you like, get a taste of that. Oh, and in the beginning of this movie where the the professors are just trying to form a union at Berkeley. Yeah. And Josh Hartnett's character is horrified by this idea. And 
won't let them talk about it in the halls of the school. Mm-hmm. Like he is just so angry and upset about this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it's you just get this sense of the dread and anger mm-hmm. that was just so pervasive at the time that just became cancerous in the next 10 years. Yeah. And we're still dealing with that. Oh, I, absolutely. I fully agree with you. We're still, well, and will still be, be dealing with that. In 1954 or 55, they put um, Under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of people don't know that. They think, oh, that was always part of No, that was never part no. of the Pledge of Allegiance. They put it in in the 50s. Like so many things. You look at how many of those... Um, uh, uh, army bases named after generals who fought on the wrong side of the war. Yep. How many of those came around between the 20s and the 60s? Yep. A lot. A lot. A lot. And it's, yeah, it, it, it really... I, I mean, I, I definitely want to see this movie multiple times just to see it again. Because it is, you do have an initial shock. Yeah. Because you go into it, and as you're watching it, it at any time could easily have turned down the road of boring biopic, but it never did. They always, either by the editing or by the storytelling, they were able to cut in different things to make it always interesting. Just doing things like the restaurant sequence. So for for frame of reference, there's a sequence in the restaurant. It's post-war. Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Strauss, is uh, basically he's the head of this atomic department Mm -hmm. and he's talking to all the scientists about the h-bomb and trying to make the h-bomb and if the russians have the h-bomb and they found this plane that has a lot of radium gravitating off of it and they're like oh they have the bomb Mm -hmm. and oppenheimer's like they don't have the bomb there was never a spy with us we always did what was right and robert andrew's like no they have the bomb like they definitely have the bomb we got to make an h-bomb and it's just this back and forth and Mm -hmm. back and forth the first time you see it it's in black and white and it's all from robert Downey jr's perspective and you have this great moment where he moves this big vase of flowers so you can look at dane dehan in the face and dane dehan was dane dehan is so so good good as just the weaselly little asshole yeah he's the worm tongue of this movie yeah oh my god he he was so good He's the lieutenant under Matt Damon, yes. who Matt Damon just bosses around all the time and gives grunt work to. And he's a lieutenant colonel, so like yeah. he would have some kind of level of self-respect, and he's just being bossed around and bullied by Matt Damon's And character. then Matt Damon doesn't even know that he's working for Strauss. No. Which no. is just... Yeah. It's so well done. I love Dane DeHaan. I still love his Harry Osborn. I don't fucking care. People can come for me. I still love him as Harry Osborn. Yeah. I thought that that was a great performance there, and I think he's amazing here. I thought that he was good in, uh, what was the the superhero movie that he did? Oh, uh, uh, Chronicle. Chronicle. Oh, he was great. Yeah, that. yeah. He oh, was, was the only movie. really good part of that movie. And that movie has like Michael B. Jordan, Jordan in it. He was good. I thought, I thought it was, was he was okay. Yeah. He, he exited the movie a little early. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? A little bit. Um, Dane DeHaan is amazing here. And that sequence in the restaurant is so well done. Because you see the it's, it has a Rashomon feel to it, right? Yeah. Where you see the first version of it, and then they come back and it's in color, and it's as the guy is moving the vase, and you see another version of it, mm. and then later on you see a third version of the sequence, and it's like this is really good filmmaking, mm-hmm. not just because it's emblematic of Rashomon, but because it takes that concept and uses it so effectively here. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying it's the first one that's ever done it. Of course, it's not. I'm literally. But it's it's like you said. It's done really, it's done and that's really a lot of well. things about this movie. It's yeah. just everything was done really well. It reminds me of Memento. 
Yes. Where, like, you're watching it and you know you're going to have to watch this again. Like, Memento and Tenet, I had that feeling in the middle of it. Of, like, I'm getting about two-thirds of the way through and I'm like, mm-hmm. I understand what's happening. I feel a little lost, but I understand what's happening. I, I'm going to have to see this again because I want to be able to put this puzzle together. Mm-hmm. Tenant, I got about a third of the way through and I was like, I'm going to have to watch this again. Oh, fuck me. And that was exactly my feeling throughout mm-hmm. the rest of the movie. It was like, oh, I'm not going to fucking get any of this. None of this fucking makes sense. And I have to watch it all again. Bite me. I haven't watched Tenet again. Yeah. This movie... I know I'm going to want to watch again and again, multiple times. This movie reminds me of Spotlight in a lot of ways. The subject matter is horrifying and depressing and sad and upsetting, and you're looking at the people that are just trying to do anything about it, and they can't. They're just stymied by history and time and the system and all these Mm -hmm. other things. And it's, it's the exact same thing here. Horrible situation. Terrible outcome. Horrific tragedies easily avoidable the the destruction of man's own hubris and the inability to do anything about mm-hmm. it until years later the like the not to, this isn't a spoiler part of the third act of this movie is basically being like hey oppenheimer everybody's gonna hate you for like the next 15 years and you're just gonna have to ride that out and then you'll be a hero again and it will all come out and when they all say that you're a hero what they're really doing is saying how great is it that we were able to forgive you mm-hmm. and like it's it's a really poignant moment and also extremely true. <laughs> yeah. And I, I want to point out also, Emily Blunt. I was about to say wife, Emily Blunt. <laughs> she, in reality, is a very feminist character in this because you have her given the answer first that every housewife wants to give her husband mm-hmm. when they come home late. And she's sitting at the table depressed because the baby won't stop crying. And he says, are you going to go to him? She goes, I've been going to him all day. Yeah. And then just walks out the room and says, you fucking do it. Like, doesn't even have to say it. Yeah. It's like, that was awesome. But then she shows that she is the only one that has fucking balls. Yeah. And he knows it. Well, she's such a complicated character. Oh, she is super complicated. She nearly abandons her child. Yes. And brings him in on it. Basically is like, we can't have this kid. And I'm just sitting there, you know, with everything that's happened with Roe v. Wade this year, being like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Some people just shouldn't have children, huh? And Because he got her pregnant while she was still married. Yeah, so they had to get married. They had to get married. And uh, it it just becomes this whole thing where she is clearly not supposed to be a mother. Yeah. She is not, she doesn't have the, the... I'm not saying that this is, you know, in the same way that not all women are supposed to be mothers, yeah. this woman is definitely not supposed to be a yeah. mother. Um, and she says so at the beginning. She's like, I'm a biologist. I'm all these other things. I am. This is not my forte. Yeah. And she becomes a drunk, like a, a public drunk at various times, throws bottles at people drunk. Mm-hmm. And she's one of our heroes. She, oh, she stands awesome. up to the man and calls him out and fucks oh. with his brain. That scene is so great. It's when she goes up against Jason her. Clark. Yes. And they're just going head to and head. At first it looks like he's going to run her over and then she's like, nope. She, she ends up laughing at him. Yeah. And basically being like, this is your plan. This is your plan but to I railroad my she husband. she knows it's always Robert Downey yeah. Jr.'s character. Yeah. And she's like, are you guys fucking are you lying? fucking dumb? <laughs> she says, are you fucking dumb? It's him. And that's when she throws the bottle because yeah. they're not listening to her. Yeah. And she's like, somebody's got to have balls. Yeah. And I fucking loved her Just character. So many moments. Oh, my and God. she turns to him and she says, you have to fight. Yeah. You can't sit back on this. You have to fight. Yeah. And the entire time she's right, he should have fought yeah. on so many things. And he never did for a variety of reasons yeah. that all ended up being the wrong reason. 
And you just look at all those moments where, you know, like, at the beginning of the movie when he's interviewing at uh, whatever Strauss's mm-hmm. college is, he's like, oh, your house will be over there. Mm-hmm. And it's for your wife and your kids, right? You have two kids. Mm-hmm. And that's before we see Oppenheimer and his wife and their home troubles. So when they have their first kid and it goes so badly, you're sitting there like, they have another kid? Yeah, because early on he says he has two kids when he's talking. They have another kid. And it's just so compelling in that way where they tell you just enough that you're fascinated and you want to know more. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's never spoilery. Mm. When they tell you who the spy is, you're like, oh, is that guy? Mm-hmm. It's not the guy you think it is. It's not like, oh, it's got to be this guy, right? Because he's obsessed with the H-bomb and he's Russian. No, it's not him. And it's just fascinating conceits. And I I appreciate the fact, because I, I, when I was watching this, it reminded me a little the female characters from, I don't know if you remember the movie Tombstone. Well, he has the troubled wife who's a drug addict in that one, but she's an alcoholic in this one. And then he has the mistress. But in this one, in, in that movie, they were just like cookie cutter written. Like mm-hmm. you can tell the female characters were just pushed aside. These two characters, even though they're playing these two tropes of being the troubled housewife and the troubled mistress and all that, the depth that they brought to these characters well, that's was the thing insane. Too. It's not even the troubled wife and the troubled mistress. It's the troubled first wife and the troubled second wife. And the mistress. Oh, that's because right. Because Lawrence Pugh is actually his first wife. That's right. And then Emily Blunt is his second wife. That's right. Which I didn't realize coming into the movie. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, Emily Blunt is the wife and Florence Pugh is the mistress. Yeah. No. Florence Pugh is the first wife. Yeah. Emily Blunt is the second wife. And he has a mistress on the side that we don't fear, find out about until the third act. There's yeah. like little hints here and there of like looks and glances and things like that. But then with his marriage to Emily Blunt, he still has Florence he Pugh He still as goes his back mistress. to Florence Pugh. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, fuck. And then you have, it, I don't want to spoil what happens to Florence Pugh, yeah. but it's bad. It's bad. And involves a bathtub, and you can kind of figure it out yeah. from there. Um, and that scene where he's in the woods, he's just gone off in, yeah. in horror at what's happened in the woods, and Emily Blunt has to find him. And she's like, what the fuck is going on? And he tells her, and she's like, you don't get to be the victim right now. Yeah. <laughs> you are not the victim. No one's going to feel bad for you, least of all me. Get up. Let's fucking go to work. I love that scene. And it's just I like... I love that scene. Oh, it's so and you good. Know, and that's the best part about Emily Blunt's character is at first... She's I a little trying at first. A little trying. And also it's like, I don't know if I quite buy some... But then as it's going and you start to see her actual personality build... Like I said, by the end she was one of my favorite characters. Yeah, that scene where she's like... Where's my communist card? I don't fucking know. Did yeah, I have one? I don't know. 16, 17, 18, 18 years ago. And it was so great. She's such a great she's scene. Especially great since scene. Jason Clark was such a villain. Oh, the, like he was, he was so mustache twirling villain. So good. And like that sequence is just so yeah. rewarding. He was very McCarthyish. Yes. Like yes. as you're watching, like he's totally. And this is like the McCarthy era. They name drop McCarthy several times. Yeah. And they talk about how, like, so this one guy was blacklisted and now he can only work on the railroad, replacing yeah. ties. Like, not on the train, on the railroad tracks. And I don't know if this was a thought of Nolan's, but I love the fact that the scenes in front of Congress with Robert Downey Jr. were all in all black, black and white, white, which made the fact that everyone there was white yes. really, really stand, stand out. out. 
And it, I, at first I was like, I didn't really think of it, but then as I'm watching it, I'm like, it really stands out that these are old white guys and there's no diversity whatsoever. There's no women, there's no people of color, there's nothing. No, nothing. And it really jumped out at me. Not even like on, like it, it's not even one of those things where all the people of Congress are white men and then there's like a handful of other minorities yes. or other things in the, the gallery. No, all white. All white. The entire room, all white. Yeah. And like I love that all the Robert Downey Jr. sequences from his perspective are in black and white. Yeah. That's so well done. And, and I, he is. I still haven't figured out what does it mean because it's, it's not like they see everything in black and white. They, they see everything by what measure they want to see it. They only see what they want to see and they yeah. ignore everything else. So it's not like that. I wonder if that's a sign of the fact that like that was our red door handle in Sixth Sense oh, it sign that was. he's the bad guy. Is all of his scenes don't have color yeah. except if Oppenheimer's with him. Even then, when he's interviewing at the school, that whole sequence is well, in black true. and white. It is in black and white. And it's not until the end when we see Oppenheimer's version of that story that yeah. we see it in color. So I wonder if that's a... Yeah. It's just, there's so much to this movie. There's it's so much so much that you can dig movie. through. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought... I honestly... I love Robert Downey Jr. I love everything he's done. For me, personally, I didn't know if there could be a role that would be more memorable to me than Tropic Thunder... Just because it was so over the top that I'll never forget it. But his he was so fucking good in this movie. Yeah. That I put this above anything he's ever done. He was really, really good here. I I, I think <laughs> biasly, he'll always be Iron Man to me for a variety of reasons. But like even that, he's hamming it up and chewing the I scenery. I mean he is, but he's also playing himself to a, a wide true, degree. True. Here he is not playing Robert <sighs> Downey Jr. He has moments where you see Robert Downey Jr. kinda of pop his head out, but it's it's never full throated. Yeah. You know, this is not like. Can you imagine Ryan Reynolds or you know Dwayne the Rock Johnson giving this kind of performance? Oh, not even fucking close. That's what you're talking about, yeah. though. Is this guy who's played this one character who's essentially himself for the last ten years, and he comes in and he just kills it and in like, this role. We talked about in certain scenes without really needing dialogue when Oppenheimer is embarrassing him in front of that committee, and just all you see is Downey's face, yeah, and you can see the anger and hatred growing, and it's like. You know, you go back to that Charlie Chaplin movie where he yeah. spoke gibberish to get the point across. It's like, yeah, you don't need dialogue to get your fucking point across. Yeah. No, and like, I also love that I think, again, I need to see it again. Yes. But I think his reaction is different in each version of that scene because that's another scene that we see three yeah. different versions of. That's true. I think at first we see him and he's just kind of like, ugh, whatever. And then the second time you see him, he's a little annoyed. And the third time you see him, and he's just livid. Yeah. Like the colors just drain from his face. The His perspective, he wasn't livid. That was just the moment he decided he was going to get revenge on this man. Mm -hmm. But in reality, when we see the story from a third-party perspective mm -hmm. or from Oppenheimer's perspective, he's fucking pissed. Yeah. When, and now that you said that, it's true because you really do see them from one character's perspective, from Oppenheimer's perspective, and then the perspective of just the general reality, public. like yeah. what actually happened. Yeah. And it's so it's so challenging and it's wonderful. It's a really well-done new yeah. update on the Rashomon concept mm -hmm. of like a story told... The same story told three ways. Yeah. And it's done so well of like... And I think that's the thing about this movie is when you see a movie like this and you think of other movies nowadays and you're like, this proves that you can make a masterpiece nowadays without CGI. Yeah. Without... I, like, I would... I'm going to have to look the budget up of this, but I would think it's not more than like $100 million and 
I don't know, I mean, I don't know what they Let me see. paid all these actors. But they were able to take this concept and this story and just through genius writing and great storytelling and then once again the sound mix or sound effects were fantastic the orchestration was fantastic everything about this was just fantastic 100 million 100 million dollars that's nothing nowadays they mm-hmm. make fucking uh, that's they, that's, a drop the most of that's their, an indie movie yeah they've made most of their their um their cost back in the first weekend because yeah. I think it's right now it's trending at like eighty million yeah. something like that. And this is the type of movie that where I think the Barbie movie is going to have its time and then it might fizzle. This is the type of movie, kind of like a Titanic, that will hang out in the IMAX theaters for a while. I and think both could honestly. I think the Barbie Heimer effect could last a few weeks. It depends on what the public reaction is to both films. If the public reaction is negative to one film, yeah. I could see it petering out. But if both movies are seen as good movies, I could see people going to see Barbie one day and then going to see Oppenheimer see, the, the only week. The only reason I say that about Barbie is I, I think it can be seen as like a summer blockbuster movie. Oh yeah, definitely. And there's so many of them coming out. Like There's still a shit ton of movies coming out. I mean, this movie's also going to be re-released in December near the Oscars. What, Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. this, this movie, I mean, Barbie might be too. I, I haven't seen it, so I can't speak to it. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if Barbie at least got a directorial and a, um, a script mm-hmm. nomination of some kind. But Oppenheimer certainly will. Get oh, absolutely. Numerous. Yeah, this thing... And it's definitely going to be nominated for Best Picture. I mean, there, how could it not be? Oh, it's got to be. And it's got to be the front room. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine, as much as I love Into the, or Across the Spider-Verse, which I think easily should be nominated for Best Picture... I can't really put it up against this, even though I loved it, and I still gave that an A+. Also, This is just a more important story. I still yeah. personally think Across the Spider-Verse is more fun to watch. Oh, easily. I, 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 I hesitate to say that it's a better movie, because they're just so disparate. They're both A-plus movies in my book. It's hard to say, like, is one better than the other? They're, they're so different. Yeah. It'd be like comparing fucking Armageddon to yeah. Schindler's List. It's like, it's, these are just completely different tones. I'm trying to remember um, what other movies are still yet to come out. Turtles. That stupid Gran Turismo movie that we have to sit through trailers. But like, I'm talking like monumental. Because now the indie is done, the Flash is done, which a lot of people were like. Yeah. The Meg 2. <laughs> Does that I, count? I still want to see that. <laughs> like to me, the only one that's still yet to come out that I I would say that I have to see uh-huh. would be Last Voyage of the Demeter. Yeah, but even that's not like a big. It's not a big movie. No, not at all. Still, and that's what I'm saying. It's like I, I would don't say like know. Haunted Mansion would be considered a tentpole movie. I think. Um, uh, but there, you're right. There's not. But a But even movie that, yeah, there. there's nothing. So Gran Turismo, Blue Beetle. I think you would have to consider it a high end movie at this point. Yeah, that's coming out the end of August. Though. Yeah, so that, like that's it. Yeah. I think both of these movies, be it Barbie and Oppenheimer, since they have, like Oppenheimer, mainly people are going to want to try to see it in IMAX. Mm-hmm. I think both these movies have like at least three solid weeks. I think so to just run the gamut. Because I'm looking at this, it, Haunted Mansion is not going to be the the no. I mean, bond. it's going to be a, a niche. It's going to be a mid level. It's yeah. not going to be Pirates of the Caribbean. No. It's not going to you know blow people's pants off. I think Ninja Turtles could be 
big potentially. But it's also going to be niche, though. It's, I, it's I don't know be... if it's going to be niche. I I'm pretty excited about it. I've heard a lot of good things online. There's a lot of buzz. So I, I don't know how niche it is. I don't know that I would necessarily put it on like a Blue Beetle level. But I think the Ninja Turtles are no longer the most. I mean, they're literally the most successful independent yeah. comic book series. But it's hard to say that they're an independent character at this yeah. point because they're so big and ubiquitous. So I would still say that that might dethrone it. But that's two weeks from now. Yeah. You know, so I could easily see Barbie and Oppenheimer at least getting two weeks of run. After that, you have the Meg. The Meg's not going to DC one of no, these two. No, 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 no. That'll be in and out of theaters. Yeah, no. That's Nobody's, not going to last. The Meg is for China. Let's be real here. There's certain movies that oh, come yeah, out no, every absolutely. year that are for China. That one's made for China. That one's made for China. Um, Elemental. Everybody's like, oh, it's making a comeback. Is it? It's making a comeback overseas. Yeah. That's where it's making a comeback. Yeah, no. So I honestly, through the rest of the se- season, I don't see another movie that's like a big... Because this is, and I think that's what made this weekend such a standout for people. Yeah. Is because both these movies were so anticipated. Yeah. And to have them both, and honestly, they both just destroyed Mission Impossible. Oh my god, yeah. They had one fucking week. They and it's dumped like, on how Mission can Impossible. You, and not only that, because you could have those people that are like, like an older crowd to say, well, Barbara movie's not really for me. I'll go see Mission Impossible. But now they'll be like, no, I want to go see Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, Mission Impossible is just like, eh, yeah, we're no, done. Like, <laughs> everything about Mission Impossible is hilarious to me. Like, nothing against Simon Pegg and Haley Atwell, and I'll throw Palm Clementiff in there, mm. too. I have nothing against these people, right? Everything against Tom Cruise. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, fuck him. But I find everything about... MI7, so funny. Yeah. It's so funny to me because first he has this whole kerfuffle with Nolan where Nolan has bought out all of the the IMAX showings the week after MI comes out. So Tom Cruise is like, oh, I was really relying on that IMAX money. Ooh. And then the writer's strike happens and the, the actor strike mm-hmm. happens and now he can't promote the movie and he goes to SAG and he's like, but please, can I promote the movie, please? Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, fucking no. You can't scab and get like a special accommodation to scab. You just, just, you just can't. Yeah. And now he's going to just, like, nobody's going to remember that Mission Impossible came out this year. You know, it's not like Fallout where everybody was like, oh, there was, like, a few good movies, but Fallout was, like, really great. I really love Fallout. No one is going to remember that. And in the storyline, like, to me, I love Mission Impossible movies, but the storyline for this, I'm like, didn't they do this in The Mission Impossible storyline has become the same thing. thing. I also love the Mission Impossible movies. My family has has a real soft spot for the Mission Impossible movies. Even Mission Impossible 2. It's got its moments. There's elements of it that will live in infamy in our house. Mission Impossible 2 gave us... Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. So if there's any positives... It did. Yes. It did. Otherwise, we were going to get Dungry whatever. Dungry Scott. Yeah. Yeah. And um, But I will always remember that Mission Impossible 2 gave us the greatest line that has lived in my family's history when Sir Anthony Hopkins, Academy Award winner, Sir Anthony Hopkins, now two-time Academy Award winner, is briefing Ethan Hunt on the mission and... Ethan Hunt's reaction is, hmm, sounds difficult. And two-time Academy Award winner Anthony Hopkins turns to him and says, well, it's not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. We got to remember, though, Anthony Hopkins also was in 
Transformers: The Last Night, which that's was true. horrific. That's oh, true. That's true. So fucking. That's bad. true. It was so fucking bad. But like all Mission Impossible movies are effectively the same plot mm-hmm. to the point where I think it was either three or four had a joke about how the plot is always the same. Mm-hmm. I know three definitely had a lot of jokes about the mask and everything that went on with that. Mm-hmm. Literally, these movies are not made for plot; they're made for stunt sequences. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's like the only reason to see these movies oh, is exactly. for whatever is stupid thing Tom Cruise is going to do. Yeah. I love Simon Pegg. I'm glad that he has a franchise that pays him regularly every mm-hmm. few years. I'm excited that Haley Atwell is getting a, a high-profile chance Even to be in something. unfortunately it led to her briefly dating Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. It had to have been a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, all the Scientology. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But... I still look at this movie and I'm like, ah, I'll get it when I get it. Yeah. I, I'm not running out to see it. Well, I'll be honest, because even Fallout, the only thing I really loved about that movie was the bathroom scene. Yeah, where Henry Cavill reloads his biceps. biceps. <laughs> it's like, other than that, it was okay. It's it's pretty good like, as a Mission Ghost, Impossible like, to movie. To me, the, the only one, like, I like them all. The only one I can say that I truly love is Ghost Protocol. I think three was my favorite. Three's great with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Three's the most underrated, yeah. of all of them. It's a J.J. Abrams movie. Yes. It's, it's actually really good. Um, also, Michelle Monaghan. Anytime Michelle Monaghan shows up in anything, I'm like, oh, you're here. <laughs> when I was watching Pixels, Pixels, and I was like, is that Michelle Monaghan? Yeah. No one told me it's Michelle Monaghan. Which I was watched be here. last night in my alternate state of mind. <laughs> How did that go? It was awesome. I loved it as much as I was I on. still really wish that ending with Qbert was not a thing. I know, That I movie know. could have been so much better know, without that ending. That ending, the last five minutes of that movie, tanked so much goodwill that I had for it. You, you, okay, the ending of that movie is Adam Sandler and his writer friends saying, would it be funny if Josh Gad screwed Qbert? It's yeah. like... That's, but it makes no sense makes within no, the context of the movie. But that's Adam Sandler. Yeah. That's Adam Sandler. But it, like, come on. I know, I know. But anyway, so okay, so back to Oppenheimer. Love it. I give it an A++. I think it'll win every Oscar. It should. If Robert Downey Jr. doesn't get his first Oscar for this, then there's a problem. Him, Emily Blunt, um, I think Kelly Murphy, Murphy is a lock. I think he's I a lock I honestly to win. don't know if there's ever a lock. I, I think that all three of those are going to be nominated. I think Kelly Murphy is a lock to win. Yes. I really can't imagine anybody else no. coming out with a better performance it's, than And this. same with Nolan as a director. Mm-hmm. I would say the sound, all sound the sound, mixing, sound, sound mixing, editing, 100%. Visual effects, yeah. all of that is, is so well done because it, surprising things. You know, like I, I, I haven't done enough research to know the full story, but I've heard that the nuclear explosion in the movie was practically done without nuclear oh, yeah. fallout. Um, they basically just got a really big bomb together and blew it up. But then you do have CGI, like the maps and other things, and the rumbling behind mm. him, and all these other little touches that really effectively no, elevate. Some of that had no. They CGI. said there was not. He said there was not one CGI shot in the entire movie. Really, not one. I'd, I'd have to. I'd, I'd like to check his math on that because do you check it because he said a lot of the. Like, the cutaways and the shaking, they literally just shook the camera. But, I guess they, maybe. But, like, some of that stuff, like, the map, when they're drawing out the, the fallout zones on that map, the way that that map wiggles and rumbles and, and twitches. You, he has come out, and I believe him, he said there's not one CGI shot in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's why, and if it's true, it's a it's a It's a piece of, it's even more elevating yeah. of the art, if fucking that's true. respect. Yeah. Absolute respect. If you did this with the same technology as, like, 1980, mm-hmm. Fucking hey, you know, yeah. like goddamn, that's some that's some talented. I, I I do, you know. Prior to this, my favorite Nolan movie was Dunkirk, and my second was um, uh, The Prestige. Oh yeah, I always forget that he did The Prestige. And 
I think this easily jumped to my top favorite because I never was a big fan of the Dark Knight or the Batman movies just because Christian Bale I could not take his fucking Batman. It I, drove me nuts. I liked him as Bruce Wayne. I liked him as Batman in the first one when he developed the Batman voice. That was the bridge too far yeah. for me. Like I didn't mind it when I was first watching. I was like, oh, it doesn't fucking matter. But I also had the same feeling about Phantom Menace when I watched mm, that for the first true. time. Yeah. And since then, I kind of I, like, I, I, I'll be honest. I can't even watch the Batman movies again. Yeah. Because every time he talks as Batman, I'm like, I, I just want to rip my fucking ears off. Yeah. And but, I think about Pete Holmes doing the bad man. Yeah, the bad man. It's all like, just, yeah. when he's coming up with his voice, I think about it every time. Yeah, like, no, I, I, the the line, I'm not wearing hockey pads, yeah. will go down in history for me. Oh, it's so it's just, And then you see them get fully trumped by Batfleck, like, five years later, yeah. when he just has the tuner on his vocal cord line that makes it so his voice sounds mechanical. Yeah. I'm like, uh, duh. <laughs> like, you're Bruce Wayne. Why? Yeah. You could have even been a good ventriloquist. I've seen Bruce Wayne's that are good ventriloquists. Yeah. <laughs> this is not but, good. But, and I know this is a huge tangent. It makes me wonder, didn't any of the actors, because I know Batman the Animated Series came out after Keaton, prior to any other Batman? 91, I think. Yeah. I think 91. It was, yeah, it was around there. Kevin Conroy did such a perfect job doing a Bruce Wayne voice, which was just an octave higher, mm-hmm. and then doing Batman, which is literally an octave lower. He just goes from here to I am the knight. Yeah. That's it. But he doesn't have the gravelly no. or anything. It's just... <laughs> oh, my God. It's just bad. I mean, I and that's kind of why I like Pattinson's, because he kind of did a similar thing. Yeah. Where he didn't really have the gravelly, he just talked a little lower. On vengeance. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay. All right, that's, this is fine. Yeah. You can but disguise no, I, your voice without sounding like a lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, you sound like you a, sound lunatic. a lunatic. But yeah, no, I, 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 I absolutely love this movie. I cannot wait to see it again. I cannot wait for it. Like, I don't think I'll see it again in the theater just because of time I don't reasons. think I'm going to watch it again in the theater, but I'm definitely buying it Oh yeah. probably around Christmas time when it goes on sale. I, I can imagine this being like a $10 Christmas mm. movie buy that I get. Just so I can like watch it at my leisure, because like, I, it really is like Spotlight. You'll people will think I'm a, a lunatic. Mm-hmm. I used to watch Spotlight on the train, like on my way into work as a commute movie, because the writing and acting is just so powerful mm-hmm. in that movie. It's like even the directing is mid level. It's not Ruffalo, amazing. Ruffalo, man, Ruffalo killed it. Ruffalo, Tucci, Keaton, McAdams, yeah. Darcy James—they're all so fucking good <laughs> shockingly upsettingly yeah. good in that movie and i got a lot of the same feels here mm. of just like god damn it why is robbie malik here? oh that's why robbie malik's mm. here why is this god. guy dane to oh that's why he's dane to some of those i mean once again we haven't we, we've spoiled some but we haven't spoiled a lot yeah and there are some scenes like the Rami Malek speech that are just... The Rami Malek stuff was so... Like, it's a get up in the theater and cheer moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. It really was. It really is. And you're like, whoa, whoa, this is awesome! Because finally, finally, someone stands up and says, no, 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 no. This farce, we've, we've gone ahead on this farce yeah. long enough. Let's dig our heads out of the sand and actually look at the facts of the situation instead of this story that you're telling yourselves. Yeah is what's happening. And they play him off in the early in the movie as this voiceless administrative assistant. He and literally, here and now he's the hero of the movie. He literally him. doesn't say a damn word. Yeah. The biggest thing that he does is when Oppenheimer visits or when he's on his way to visit the Secretary of Defense or whoever it is, mm-hmm. uh, they have a petition that they want him to sign and Rami Malik is holding this clipboard and he drops it. Yeah. And it clatters in the middle of this train station. Yeah. And that's like the biggest thing that he does. And I'm just sitting here like 
why is Rami Malek literally holding a clipboard? <laughs> why is this happening right now? And then you get to the end of the movie, and you're like, oh, oh. that's why. But yeah, I, I love this movie. Like, why is I, Jack Quaid playing bongos? That one makes more sense. Which is funny, because you had just talked about the fact that you were watching Lower Decks, and he's yeah. the lead voice yeah. of Lower Decks. Yeah. yeah, And also, I love him from The Boys. Like, I love yeah. Jack Quaid now. Yeah. He's, he's one of my favorites. So Yeah, no, I really love this movie. Yeah. I was really, not not even shocked or floored, just like... It's just marvelous. It's yeah. just an incredible, it really is. Uh, astonishing piece of art and history and storytelling. And it feels authentic all the way through. It doesn't feel like they made up a bunch of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like that moment where Freddie Mercury has AIDS before Live Aid. You don't have that moment where you're like, hey, wait a minute. You know, we were joking a little bit before the show that mm-hmm. you know we hear... I, I specifically referenced Epigraph Battles of History where they talk about how many women... Oppenheimer slept with in what situations and I was like oh they don't really go into that but they they kind of do and they, they kind of do yeah. just enough to make it make any level of sense mm-hmm. and it's not intricately tied to the story mm-hmm. it does have a funny moment where they're like oh yeah they're accusing you of killing this guy because he found out that you were having an affair with his wife and he died of a broken heart and Oppenheimer's like he didn't die of a broken heart he never found out <laughs> just like... yeah and it's like you know what I love about it is it makes you because you, the pit, the movie tries to paint him at times as just not a good. He's person. not heroic. He's not heroic, but they paint try to paint him as not a good person while at the same time also painting it as this is how men acted yeah. in the fifties. Yeah. As bad as it is, yeah, he's bad, but not for that time yeah. as far as philandering and all that because that's kind of what. Big wig guys with power did. He kind of falls into that camp that some supervillains fall into these days of that Ian Malcolm. Yeah. Like, I just want to find out if I can do this, and I really don't care about the repercussions. The Kirk Connors. Let me experiment on myself, yeah. and then I'll experiment on all of New York City because it's the right thing to do. And, you know, that's kind of the, the impetus of Oppenheimer's thing yeah. is he finds out that they can split atoms, and he's like, well, they're going to make a bomb. And then the U.S. government is like, oh, yeah, Germany's already working on a bomb. And he's like, oh, yeah, Germany's been working on a bomb for 18 months. I'm, I can almost guarantee you right now. Uh, and we got to work on our own bomb, I guess. And he's not enthusiastic about making a bomb. He's enthusiastic about the science the that science will lead to that. making the bomb. And he doesn't think about the fact that he's making a bomb. Yeah. To him, it's just, this is what they're asking us to make. It's not my trouble what they do with it. I've just been asked to make the thing. Mm-hmm. So I will make it and trust them to do the right thing. And unfortunately, the person he was trusting is the U.S. government, which mm-hmm. is not a great individual or entity to trust. And it does show kind of it, the problem with science sometimes to where some of these guys that have theories, that the theories could be catastrophically bad, but they're so into their theory that yeah. they need to see if it'll work. Exactly. You have that moment where they build the 1940s version of a super collider yeah. in Josh Hartnett's yes. room. And they find out that um, some German scientists split a uranium atom. And uh, Oppenheimer's like, there's no way. And he goes out and he does all the math on it. And meanwhile, one of the guys is like, I'm going to recreate the experiment. And he goes next door. And so Oppenheimer finishes doing his math and he turns the board around and he's like, see, impossible, can't be done. And Josh Hartnett's like, that's great. We just did it. Yeah. So this is the difference between theory and practice. Yeah. And it, that's that's the moment when 
Oppenheimer is truly gripped. Yeah. And he says, I need to see how far this can go. And he doesn't think about what that actually yeah. means. He really is like an anti-hero. Yeah. Because you want to root for him, but you're also like, hey, he kind of did a horrific thing, and he's also not a good person. And you keep on cheering for him to stand up and do the right thing, and, and he, he never really does. No, he never does. He never really does. His wife does, and his friends do, and his colleagues do, mm-hmm. and other people that look up to him do. He never really actually stands up mm-hmm. and takes account for what he's done or anything that's happened because of it. And Robert Downey Jr.'s character brings that up. He's like, if, if he gave him another chance, he would do it all the exact same yep. way because he's not remorseful about what's happening. He was more interested in just seeing if he could do it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a really well-made movie. I really, really it's did so enjoy good. it. It's so good. All right. Well, that was our review of Oppenheimer. We've got to get moving on because we yeah. have been talking for way too long, yeah. but we hope you enjoyed <laughs> it. So once again, this has been NerdPod Generations episode 107. We really hope you enjoyed it. And please go out and see this movie and go see Barbie and go see Stranger Worlds and go see... I'm not going to say go see Secret Invasion, yeah, don't, but we will be talking your, about... Take the time that you spent on Secret Invasion, or that you would spend on Secret yeah. Invasion. Go watch something better. Yes. Because we're going to have to sit through Secret Invasion, and then we'll just tell you that it sucks. Oh, next week's so going to be rough. You don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we, unfortunately, have to do will that. carry that burden for you. Yeah. But uh, please come back, check check us out next week. We'll be catching you up on uh, the last two episodes of Strange and World and um, Secret Invasion. That TV tsunami is running. Wait, I, the, the yeah, weather, we still the TV tsunami is coming back. Do Witcher season three yeah. or season five too. Or yeah, three, yeah that's three, its I mean. own thing. Yeah, that's that's Ugh. a whole other thing. Um, so once again, if you want to know about us individually, ain't nowhere you look me up right now. No, you can't find Steve anywhere, but you can find <laughs> me at JudsonStudios.work under the Bronx Division tab. Use that as your your vocal point until. NerdPodGen.com yeah. officially launches. Which hopefully will be in the next month, but yes. we, we will definitely let you all know, so please come back and check us out next week, folks. Yes, and who knows, maybe by then we'll have new tattoos. Yay! Have a great week, friends and enemies. Yeah.